Junkies everywhere. David with Tour Junkies here coming at you. This week, Pat and I talk about GPP versus cash games on DraftKings and how your lineups and how your strategy may be different. The tour is coming to an end uh, this season, and we're going to get ready for the 2015-16 to 16 season. So in the coming weeks, we're going to talk more strategy. We're going to talk some lineup construction and things like that on DraftKings to help your screens be green next season. We also talk a little bit about the President's Cup picks recently that Jay Haas made and how we disagree with those. So, Jay, if you're listening, you know, we're not happy with you, man. But once again, thanks for the download. Check us out on Twitter at 2TourJunkies, as well as check out the website tourjunkies.net. Thanks again for downloading, and may your screens be green. See ya! All right, Tour Junkies, David and Pat back at you this week. It's uh, We're right in the middle of the FedEx Cup playoffs. It's been fun so far. We've got a nice little break in the action this week as we get geared up for football season, which I know we're we're all excited about. But Pat and I wanted to, you know, give give you guys a little a little education this week. We just want to we want to talk to you guys a little bit about some terminology, uh, maybe some lineup construction uh, tips, and uh, we just want to talk through some some PGA DFS strategy today. So it'll be a good a good podcast for sure. We appreciate you listening, Pat. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I feel like it's uh, it's been a while since we've been able to been able to talk. So I'm, I'm glad to uh, be back on the line with you, and and looking forward to a little strategy talk. And and you know, sometimes it's nice to have a uh, have a little break in the action. So we got a little two week break here. We get to start with some, some football coming up this weekend. So I'm excited about that. But ready ready to talk a little strategy today. Absolutely, and you know, before we get into that, just a, just a, some relevant golf news, uh, PGA news that hit yesterday, and that would be the two uh, captains' picks uh, selections for the Presidents Cup this year. Uh, Jay Haas, the captain, selecting uh, his offspring, um, the the uh, the fruit of his loins, if you will, Bill Haas and Phil Nicholson. What do you think about those picks, uh, Pat? Well, you know, I think you know the the most obvious thing is is the controversy is gonna, is going to lie around uh, him picking his son Bill, but but really when you look at it, it it's not to me as controversial as as it might appear, and, and mainly because the last eleven captains picks that were were when the player was in the eleventh. Spots in the standings. Ten out of the eleven, the captain picked the eleventh spot guy. So basically, in this case, Bill Haas was—I mean, it was almost an easy choice for him because you know he was in that eleventh spot in the standings, and and really Jay, you know, just kind of went along with status quo there. I don't, it probably doesn't look that way, but when you really think about it, that, that's really what what it comes down to. And Mickelson, on the other hand, to me, was a little bit more controversial just because he was so far back in the standings. He really hasn't played that great this year. So he's not in good form. And, and, you know, they always say with these teams that, you know, they want to have the guys that are in top form. Because we really haven't done good. Now, the President's Cup, we've done pretty well. But the Ryder Cup, we have not. And I don't know. I think I like having Mickelson on the team because of his leadership and, and his stature among the guys. But, 
there's a few other guys like Brooks Kepka and Kevin Kisner who I, I would have liked to have seen get a shot at the team just based on their their current form and, and their great seasons that they've had. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I know, I know you, I know you, you know, your boy uh, Kis Kisner texted Jay Haas and, and gave a pretty nice argument and uh, and plea, if you will, to he make him be selected. He did do that, but uh, obviously it was not enough. But he he told Jay, he said, "Hey, look, I'll play anyone anywhere." You know, you you've seen the results from from Kiz this year, and and you know he's played well. He's he's played with Rory and beat him, you know, plenty of times head to head when they've been playing together. So he'll he'll go up against anybody. He's got no fear, and uh, I think Kepka's the same way. But but again, uh, the the captain the Went with the veteran there. Well, here's here's you know since I can't go a week without having a stat, and you know without any players we got we got to have some stats here. You know here's a stat for you. In 2013, Jordan Spieth played 23 events. He had nine top tens. He had 18 uh, uh, 18 cuts made, um, and I think he had. Hold on, let me let me, let me pull it up. Uh, he had 13 top 25 in 2013, and he was picked for the President's Cup. Brooks Kepka has had the identical year except for one left top 10, eight top 10s, not not nine. Uh, identical year, and and Brooks just been playing as as good as anyone, other than maybe Jason Day in the last you know month, um, and. It's just, you know, doesn't seem like he's easily intimidated. Seems like he'd be a great player for this format. I can't believe he got snubbed. I mean, to me, Haas has, has not been playing well lately. I think he earned a lot of his points earlier in the season. Um, he's just not been playing that well lately. He had plenty of opportunity in the last couple of, of events where he, he entered in and, and wanted to make the, make the team outright, which I, you know, I respect, but he, he just didn't do it. Um, and I had him in a couple of draft teams lineups for those weeks, thinking that he would pull it out and, you know, make make it for make it easy for old pops and not have to not have to you know be a captain's choice. But I don't know, man. I just I don't think it was great picks, and I don't like the Nicholson pick at all. I mean, he's not been in the greatest form, and again, I think there's a lot of better. There's so much young talent in the game right now that that. Don't appear intimidated, easily intimidated by that kind of format, you would think. And, you know, we snub him for old man Mickelson, who's not been playing well. And, uh, you know, and Bill Haas. I don't, I don't know. It, it doesn't look too promising, um, when I look at the, uh, both teams here. It doesn't look too promising for the U.S. guys, if you ask me. But, well, I can't, I can't necessarily disagree on, on a lot of those points. I, I, I do, I do see why the Jay, they pick Bill just because of what I said about where he was in the standings and, and where that pick is normally that pick is normally been taken. But you know we don't need to spend too much more time on it. But no. you know, why is it again? Why do you have to have Nicholson on the team? I mean, why do you, why do you have to have the old guy on the team? That's what I don't. Why can't there just be you know twelve twenty year olds? I mean, if they're all playing good, you know the leadership to come from the captain. I mean, he's got David Love and Fred Couples right there who are great. You know, leaders in themselves and have done well in these type these type formats. So why do, why do you necessarily have to take Nicholson anyway? But yeah, whatever. I don't know. 
Well, either way, whatever. We'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, let's get into the strategy portion. And, and you know, let's, first thing I think we need to do is for, for some of the listeners who may be newcomers to DFS in general, uh, much less PGA, you know, a couple of terms that we throw out a lot and that really apply to any DFS format would be GPP versus cash gain. So a lot of times every week we'll talk about, you know, well, we think this guy's a good GPP play or a good cash game play or both or neither or whatever. Um, and so for the casual, you know, player who may not understand what that means, you know, explain to us first, let's start off with, with GPP. Um, you know, explain to us first, like, what you think about when you think of a GPP play and define, you know, kind of what that means so that our players kind of get an idea of what we're talking about every week when we say, you know, we like this guy as a GPP play. Sure. Well, you know, first off, it's amazing to me just the growth of, of DFS in general, not just golf, which I think golf has grown probably the most over the last year. But but in general, it's just amazing. I mean, you're seeing DraftKings everywhere on ESPN and uh, different yeah. stadiums everywhere. And so it's only going to continue to grow. And so, you know, that's why, you know, I think having these, talks about strategy and whatever else is so important because you really have to know the format. You have to know what you're getting into, especially when you're putting money involved. But with with GPP plays, you know, GPP stands for Guaranteed Prize Pool. Uh, it's also, you can refer to it as a tournament. And, and the reason behind that is because it's usually a large field of people. So when you have, for instance, with golf, with the majors, they have a millionaire maker, and you may have uh, probably 150,000 people in there. And, and so there's a ton of people that you're going against. And usually, for the most part, you got to finish in the top 20 to 25%. I'm not sure the exact percentage number, but right in that area in order to at least cash out. And most of the time, if you finish in that in that range, you'll at least probably double your money. So say if it's like a $3 entry, you may, you know, if you're tail end of finishing in the money, you'll be in like $6 or so. But, but anyway, when you look at a GPP, you really want to, Take players that, for one, you want you want a winner in golf. You you want that guy on your team, but you also want some differentiators uh, and some outliers when you're you're planning a GPP to sort of uh, to not be to go against the grain with where everybody else may go as far as who they're picking. So when I when I say that, you may look at you know in a, in a major with a millionaire maker. You like for instance, another David Duvall was on one of the millionaire maker teams. That guy was probably not thought of by too many people to put in their lineup. I don't know what his percentage, but it probably was less than 5%. He hadn't been playing that great. He never really plays, but he played in the British Open because he's won it before. He finished, you know, he made the cut, and I can't remember exact place that he finished in, but, you know, him being on your team obviously helps. So you don't necessarily, that's a little bit extreme. You don't necessarily want a guy like DeVall. But maybe a guy that's been, you know, that's not well known, but that's been playing good. A perfect example is like a Will Wilcox this year. I mean, I think he was kind of under the radar for a little while. Now he's a little bit more higher owned, but he, he's a guy that I looked at for a lot of GPP plays because he, at first, he was not very well known, but he was playing well and his stats were good. And so he was a good, good GPP type play. Not, you know, there was no, I wasn't being conservative when I threw him in the lineup. I was taking a little bit of risk. But it was calculated risk because he'd been playing well. So that's just kind of a quick example of maybe a type player that I'm going to look at for for a GPP. Right, and and so you know again GPP guaranteed prize 
pool. So also, you know, typically the GPPs are only put on by DraftKings. So, if we're, you know, we, we typically only stick with DraftKings. So DraftKings GPP contests are only put on by DraftKings. So it's not a public league or a private league that someone sets up. And it also means that even if the contest does not fill, the prize payout and structure will stay the same. So it's, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's somewhat of a risk for DraftKings, although it's been a great, a great thing for them because most of their contests are filling and they're, they're getting all the entry fees that they, that they need to get. So, um, when you're looking at a GPP, that's, that's the definition, I guess the truest definition of it. But, you know, I think the key thing to remember is, the GPPs are typically bigger contests, and you're going to have more people in them. And the more people in the contest, the more unique your lineup is going to have to be, and the more you know near perfect your lineup is going to have to be to to win or to at least get up there in the top, you know, three to five percent, where you're really going to win some money instead of just being in that you know top twenty to twenty five and just doubling up your entry. Um, you know, for example, the NFL week one, there's 572,000 entries in the millionaire maker for the NFL, which is just absolutely absurd. Um, so I mean, you talk about unique. I mean, you really got to be unique in a lineup in, in a contest like that. Um, you know, so in the G, when we talk about a GPP play, it comes, Let's be real though too. With golf, it still comes down to you got to have all six make the cut if you're going to cash in a GPP. Um, pretty much, you have to have all six make the cut. We've definitely seen events where if you only have five get through, but those five are in the top twenty, top twenty-five, uh, you can still be in the back end of of, of those cash payouts. Uh, but for the most part, you still want all six making the cut. Uh, and, you know, you need guys who, like you said, are gonna, are gonna finish in the top, you know, 15 to, to 25. Um, it'd be nice to have the winner, that's for sure, that always helps. And, and then the next thing you gotta think about is the ownership percentages. So I think usually when, when we refer to GPP, like when we say, you know, um, Morgan Hoffman's a good GPP play this week. What we really mean is, you know, we don't trust them quite enough to be in a cash game. Um, and, and we feel like everyone else feels the same way. So for that reason, he will not find his way in a high percentage of GPP lineups in whatever contest we're doing. Uh, but it's also, but he's also a player with a lot of upside because he's, he makes a lot of birdies, you know, he makes some eagles. He, you know, he's kind of a scorer. So, uh, it's, you know, GPP plays are typically your, uh, low floor, high ceiling, uh, kind of guys that there's a wide gap of production that they could have. And, and that's why, you know, it, it's a little, little risk reward pick. Don't you, don't you see that? I mean, you see it that way? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think you're right on. I mean, I think one thing to remember too is, is a GPP is, is very difficult to win. You know, when you're especially talking about like the billionaire maker, but even the smaller ones are very hard to win. You, like you said, you got to be near perfect to win one. So it's a it's a risk anyway. It's, so if you're trying to sort of build a, a bankroll and, and and make money, you know, you don't want to make a living in the GPP. I mean, have fun. I like doing the GPP because I love swinging to the fences, and you never know. It's fun if you're getting up there at the top and you you know you. You see yourself with a ton of winnings. You know, it's, it's kind of neat to see, but it is very difficult. So, 
you know, I think the, the GPPs, you, you want to have, you want to enter them and, and, and have fun with them. But again, you got to realize that the, your expectations can't be exactly that high when you're, when you're entering a GPP because it is a risky play and it's very hard to get a, a, a win to finish in the, you know, number one. But you can definitely cash out in them if, with, with good lineup. But, but I do agree again that, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, you're just looking for those guys with, with that high ceiling that, you know, are, are kind of swing for the fences. But you don't want to construct your entire team with those guys. You want to have, you yeah. know, a, a few of the guys that, that are the top ten guys that you think are going to win. So so you don't really necessarily say, okay, I'm going to take six guys with extremely high ceiling, but they all can miss cut. That's not really what you're looking for at GPP. You just really want to fit in a couple guys there. Yeah, that's actually – that's a key point. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean – You've got six golfers in PGA, DFS on DraftKings. Um, you're definitely correct in saying you cannot have all six guys be total off-the-wall plays. You really only need, you know, two or so to, to differentiate your team enough to to do what you need them to do. But, you know, so you can't take so much risk. That just At that point, it just becomes foolish, you know. So correct. Uh, that's that's key to remember. Um, you know, so like, I, you, you mentioned the David Duvall thing. I believe that was for the Open, uh, championship that that guy had, uh, David Duvall. But like, I, I went back and looked at the Masters. So the Masters was the first, you know, PGA DFS millionaire payout. Um, and we had our first, our first millionaire, uh, in Brett Marino, uh, who was the, the gentleman that won on DraftKings. It was a single entry. It was a great, one of the best stories of the year. As far as PGA DFS, it was a single entry. Um, by the way, that's, you know, a lot of these GPPs, they, they set a maximum number of entries, you know, maybe 50 entries, it may be 100 or 200, meaning that you can, you can pay and, you know, and, and buy that many entries. So, um, but this guy, Brett Marino, won with a single entry that he won on a, on a qualifier event. Um, and I looked at his lineup, and he had Russell Henley, um, who finished 20, 21st. He had Charlie Hoffman, who finished 9th. He had Phil Nicholson, who finished uh, T2. He had Kevin Nye, who was T12th. Justin Rose, who was T2. And Jordan Spieth, uh, who obviously won. Um, so he had, you know, four guys in the top 10, uh, a, guy, a guy at 12, and a guy at 21. And and then if you look at the salary breakdown, it's interesting his salary breakdown. So Spieth was like eleven eleven thousand or something at the time. So he was one of the higher price players. He he wasn't the highest, but he was one of the higher price players, like eleven something. Um and then you had uh you had Rose at ninety seven hundred. Um you had Phil at ninety nine hundred. So he he those are the three guys he had at the top. Then the other three guys, he, he got all the way down in the six thousand dollar range. Um, Russell Henley was sixty five hundred, and Kevin Na and Charlie Hoffman were six thousand apiece. Like wow. think about think about how low that was for the Masters. Um, so I mean, he, he really went a total stars and scrubs lineup uh, as far as pricing goes. I mean. Hoffman and Na and Henley, for that matter, ended up all having pretty good seasons this year. So it's hard for me to think about those guys being scrubbed. But in the Masters field, at that price, 
you know, at that time, they were they were kind of considered scrubs. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I don't th- I don't think either one of those guys were first timers. Maybe maybe Henley was. A, I don't think that was his first time playing. So I mean, you know, he he didn't go like too crazy. You know, he, he didn't have some amateur um, in there, but still a pretty crazy lineup. What do you think about What do you think about that? Did I refresh your memory on that? On the on the yeah, Masters Millionaire actually, Maker. That's good info. I, I didn't. Seems like it's been forever ago, even though it's only been a few months. But I mean, yeah, and that's a, again, and it just points out a, a, a probably a good strategy that you can go with. One of them that you might go with for a GPP is that stars and scrubs, you know, type type play. I mean, that that's one I like to do in a lot of my GPPs uh, that I play in, and, and you know, and you're still looking to, when you're in that six thousand range. Uh, you know, he picked some some good guys that were. You know, maybe under the radar at the time, but we're still playing well, and, and I'm actually very surprised to hear those prices. Um, but again, it's it, uh, GPPs are just, in a sense, they can be a little bit of a crapshoot. But it sounds to me, when you look at that lineup, I mean, it really he made a lot of smart decisions, and it won him a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty crazy. Um, you know, another one I'm looking at is for. The, the U.S. Open. So for the U.S. Open, just to recap these two, maybe we'll just, we'll just recap this last one and move on. But the guy that won had, um, Jason Duffner, who finished T18. Tony Finau, who finished T14. Kisner, who finished T12. Um, Louis Ustazen, who finished T2. Uh, Patrick Reed, who finished T14th, and Spieth, who won it. This is at Chambers Bay. You know, of course, Louis had that 29. Louis, Louis had some great, great points there um, on that Sunday, I believe it was. But um, first time playing DraftKings, uh, again, his name is Carl Bassowitz. First time playing DraftKings, first uh, only one entry, turned 20 bucks into, uh, you know, into, into a million bucks. So uh, pretty crazy there. I'm trying to get the salaries on those guys, but I don't have them at the moment. But, you know, at the time, picking Chambers Bay lineups, you know, the Tony Finau pick and the Jason Duffner pick would be your GPP plays in that lineup. Um, even though Finau, again, that sounds kind of funny to say now because he, he finished the year so well. And, I mean, he had a good year all around anyway, but he's, he, you don't typically see a rookie at a U.S. Open, you know, who – who hadn't been, you know, at the time, he wasn't nailing out top tens, you know, uh, like he did to end the year. But Finau was definitely a GPP play at the time, as was Duff. I mean, Duff hadn't really done a whole lot. Um, you know, so he kind of went, he kind of went with chalk there in the, in the beginning with speed. And Ustazen was a, was a favorite at that time. Reed is, you know, he, he shows up in the majors and Kisner, who, you know, still a little bit of a GPP play, but Kisner was hot coming off of a couple of, you know, I think he he finished second at um at uh at Hilton Head and then second at the players right before. So Kisner was hot, so that wasn't a huge reach. But you know, so you can kind of tell with the lineup construction here, you know, where we're going with this GPP thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think again, like you said, I mean, with those, you can easily sort of pick out the there were two GPP plays with Finau and, and who was playing well, but it just didn't have the name recognition, which is sometimes that's just all there is is name recognition, and and Duffner did have name recognition, but he had not been on form. Uh, I think he did play well in the tournament, maybe 
one or two right before the U.S. Open this year. So he was a little bit of a sneaky play, and and in this case, it it obviously worked out because he had low ownership and he finished in the top 20. Yeah, and actually, if you look at the ownership levels, uh, like Duffner was so, so, so guess out of those six players, who was the lowest owned? Duffner, Finau, Kisner, Ustase, and Reed and Speed. Um, I'd probably go with, I, you know, I don't know. For some reason, I want to say Kisner. Kisner was uh, 11% owned. Uh, so here, here was the ownership. Speed was 19.7. He was the highest on, on this roster. Reed was 14%. Kisner was 10.9. Finau was actually 9.1% owned. Duffner was 4.6% owned. But Louie was 3.5% owned and finished second. <laughs> that was... neck and back issues, but maybe everybody thought the FedEx didn't get his master shipped in time for uh, for stuff, but th- that's actually a good point, though, is like a GPT play doesn't have to be a scrub. It can still be, I mean, Louis, Louis is a top-tier golfer. I mean, he's he's not some scrub, um, and, and he was probably the the second highest priced guy on this, on his roster, so a GPT play does not have to be a scrub. And, and to me, this actually brings up another good point, which is um, another term that we can define here, which is called a, a pivot play. So, you know, in a GPP, I look for pivot plays. So if there's a player who's popular right right beside somebody else and you feel like the ownership's going to be high, you typically take a pivot play, which is somebody near that price range that you think will be lower ownership but has just as much upside. So I bet in this example of Chambers Day, you probably had like a Ricky Fowler down there who, um, you know, or, or you might have had like a Stinson or Matsuyama was always kind of in the $9,000 range, which I bet Usti was somewhere in that range. You probably had these more popular players like Fowler and Matsuyama, uh, maybe Adam Scott, you know, uh, Phil, I'm sure, was probably in that same range as Usti. And, you know, if you want to fit, if you have the salary to fit one of those players on your roster, to take the less popular guy is a, is a pivot play. And, and it can pay off if that guy does what Louie did here at, at Chambers Bay. Um, you know, and guys like Ricky shoot six over the first day and don't come out swinging like, like Louie did on, on Friday at Chambers Bay. But does that make sense? Do you ever think about that or do you look at that when you're constructing a lineup? I do look at it some, and I will have to. I'll admit, but I, I never, I never knew the term for it was actually called a pivot play. I, I do that, but uh, so I'm, I'm learning something on, on this podcast. Also, that you know what, man? I mean, that's just you know, it's just what I do. You know, stick with me, man, and, and you'll go far. <laughs> yeah. So again, uh, we've probably worn out GPP, but but I, I think we we've got some good information there. But I think sure. it's the most. I mean, I think the GPP thing's the most. The most, uh, I don't know if complicated is the word, but it's the most misunderstood or, um, 
you know, another example of the pivot thing is towards the end of the year, Kepka is a great example. I mean, Kepka was like the most popular golfer picked every single week. And yeah. so if, if, if you wanted to fade Kepka, and there's another word for you, fading mean not play him. Um, if you wanted to fade Kepka because you knew most people would be on him and the ownership level would be high, then the pivot play would probably be the guy immediately above him or immediately below him. And, and you're just, you're more likely to have a unique lineup in that, in that example. So, you know, and I think with the GPP, another, another trick that you can do, and I've heard some pros do as far as making a unique lineup is leaving some salary on the table. You know, that's, that's something else that a lot of new players don't like to do. They, they want it, they want that remaining salary at a zero balance when they're done. And, you know, I'm guilty of that, too. I've done that from time to time when there's just players I really feel like i got to have and I want to fit on and it, and it works. But, you know, another unique way to differentiate your, your lineup is to make sure you've got some salary remaining because most of the general public is, is not going to, you know, they're going to spend every dime or, or at least all but a couple hundred of it. So, you know, if you put in a lineup with six guys who you feel good about and you've got 600 700 bucks on the table, Leave it. I totally agree with that. I, and I try to, I, I don't try to do it, but I, I don't, I certainly don't mind if I have a lineup in a GPP and I, if I've got four or five, six hundred dollars left on the table and, and I like the lineup, I'm going to go with it. Um, but it is very tempting to try to get it down to that zero balance because you just want to go and immediately look to see, well, well, where can I improve this team and who can I get that's got a higher salary? But, but that is a great point. I think there's there's a lot of GPP winners that come off of somebody who's got has some budget left. So definitely a good point for GPP. Yeah, and you know the the other thing that we can we can hit on briefly, and uh, and maybe we'll we'll spread this out into a part one, part two shows since this has been good stuff here. But um, you know, so so getting into the cash games, you know, we talked about cash games. You know, how would you contrast the cash game to the GPP? Well, for me, you know, a cash game to me is 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 basically you're you're going to construct a I don't want to say a more conservative lineup, but a lineup that has players in it. For one, you 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 feel like you're very confident that all six of them are going to make the cut because all you got to do all you got to do to finish in the money on a cash game is finish in the top half. Uh, in pretty much every cash game. Now, double up is a little, there's a slightly different calculation there because, you know, double up, you may have, it's, say it's a $5 double up. Well, you win $10. And that's, um, so it's just a straight double up. But a 50-50, which is also a cash game, if, if you enter $5, you win nine. And, and DraftKings has taken a little bit off of that. And so, again, with, with those type things, you, you basically just, all you want to line up is going to finish in that top half. You want to look at guys who are hot, who are playing, who are playing well for the, going into that tournament, and you and you want to you want to look for some value plays, but you want to have those guys be guys that you think are going to make the cut, who have played well lately, and so you are going to take you're not going to take as many flyers in in your cash game lineup, at least at least for me when I'm when I'm doing mine, I don't I don't really try to take too much risk. I, I like to take. Um, a lot of times I'll go with a fairly balanced lineup on my cash games. I may take one guy who's in the, you know, 10 or 11 ranges up there, but then I'm, I'm going to try to get, you know, just a solid team of, of top 50 golfers who are playing well, just so I can try and, and, and 
you know, and finish in that in that top half. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, and I would say I do the obviously I do the same thing. I mean, your your cash games are going to see payouts of you know forty to to fifty percent of the field is going to is going to make money. So obviously the payouts are going to be less uh, flashy or less attractive as some of the GPP payouts. But you know, I, I kind of I consider myself more of a cash game player just because I, I tend to gravitate towards the cash game a little more. I don't have, um, you know, I don't have some huge pro bankroll that I'm, I'm throwing out $50, $20, you know, millionaire maker entries in. Um, <laughs> but I, I just think I, I tend to like seeing if you just like winning and you're doing this for fun and you're doing it as a hobby and you just kind of enjoy it. Um, the, the cash game may be for you because you know, you're more likely to see green on the screen, and that's what's fun. You know, even if it's just a few bucks, it, it's still fun to watch if you're competitive and you like golf. So, um, but the the key in the cash game is, like you said, six guys making the cut. Man, if you if you have six guys making the cut, you will place in 97 out of 100 cash games that you play in. That is the key. Yeah. So. Um, it doesn't matter where those six guys finish necessarily. I mean, it's very rare that you would have six guys make the cut and they all finish, you know, T64th at the end of the tournament. But, um, you know, it just about doesn't matter where they finish if they make the cut and then give you four rounds. And, and obviously with a cash game, you know, we've seen five of six win money and I've even seen four of six win money. So, uh, you know, depending on the players, that's, that's where you're going. But when you're constructing the lineup, it's all about, you know, who's going to give me the best chance of, of making the cut. So not as many risky plays like the GPP. Um, and, you know, it's a little, little easier to understand, not, not as complicated. I don't worry at all about ownerships. Do you, do you, do you sweat ownership levels at a cash game? No, not, not in particular. I, I, I really don't. Um, you know, it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of new, a lot of new DFS players, um, as, as we've, started this venture and and one of the things i've noticed is is now first off i'll say we know this is not gambling because the uh, government has 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 not said it's gambling but (laughs) one one thing i've noticed is your gamblers who are gravitated towards dfs typically like to play the cash games and and because you know, you look at a 50-50. Well, if you if you bet on the spread of a football game or something like that, you you got a 50-50 shot of winning for, for mm-hmm. the most part. And so that's that's kind of what you, I've noticed with a lot of people who have maybe a history of, of gambling is that they they tend to gravitate towards the towards those cash game type plays because they're just trying to build a bankroll and and yeah. you know win on a week to week basis. And you know your GPP going back to that to me is like the guy who likes to play parlay. You know, who wants to, who wants to have, you know, three or four teams. And if they all hit awesome, they win a ton of money, but they're, the odds are they're probably going to win nothing. Totally. That's kind yeah. of the, the way I, I compare those two. And so I think you are seeing, even though we know it's not gambling, you are seeing a, a lot of players that are in the cash game that are, you know, have that gambling type mentality. <laughs> and, and so, you know, again, just, just kind of throwing that out there, but, but that Dang, is. Dang, man. I resemble that remark, man. <laughs> I hurt my feelings. No, I, yeah. that's a, that makes a lot of sense to me. I get that. I, I totally get that. You know, and and um, like I said, man, it's just fun to win. So 
on the cash games, you're just more likely to see the green. But I will say I have started to think it is – I think there's a slight misconception that cash game means a smaller field of players. And and I don't know that that's necessarily true either. I mean, we did say that the bigger – you know, that, that like the the bigger the GPP – the more the more entries in the GPP, the more unique your lineup has to be, and I get I believe that. But I also do think that with some of these contests, like you know, we play in a league, um, Pat and I do, where there's 15 people every week, and only the top three um, get paid, which is the same payout percentage as a GPP. So even though the field is smaller, uh, considerably smaller, I mean, 15 entries versus you know thousands the payout percentage is the same. So you don't necessarily have to – I'm not saying that you, you have to worry about ownership levels at that stage because I definitely don't. Um, but maybe in a, you know, in a, in a hundred-person hundred contest, maybe it's one of these multipliers, a hundred-person contest, and, and you know, the, the, the top 20 are going to get paid. At that point, I'm, I might start thinking about ownership levels just because you're going to need some kind of differentiator to finish top 20%. But for the most yeah. part, your, your double-ups and stuff like that, you know, um, I think you're probably pretty safe just picking who you want to pick, pick who you want to play, you know, if you feel like they're, they're there to make a cut. So um, I think that's key. So that pretty much breaks down, like, cash gains and GPPs and the definitions of those two. You know, I wanted to get into some lineup construction, but I think we should save lineup construction, and we'll do another a separate podcast, and you know, help help kind of fill the gap between the this PGA season and the next, and talk about what you and I look at when we get into lineup construction, how we put our lineups together. You know, do you start with your most expensive guy or your cheapest guy, and what stats do you look at, and all that stuff? Because we obviously know that you and I do that a little differently. Um, Definitely. So, what do you say? What do you say we do that? Hey, I'm good with it. I think we 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 got some good good knowledge out there today on on GPPs and cash games, and uh, let's not let's not let's slow our roll down a little bit, and and we'll we'll dedicate a whole other podcast to, to that lineup construction, so we can focus on it and and uh, help people even even get more green on the screen. That's right, man. That's right. Any uh, anything else, man? You got on your heart? You just need to. Get off your chest, or are you good to go, man? I think I'm good to go. I'm real, you know, this week again, like we said, it's an off week. I'm, I'm really excited about football this week. It starts, uh, it starts tomorrow night with the, with the Pats and the Steelers, and, and I'm, I'm tired of all the Patriots talk and everything else, and, and I'm just ready to get the game started so we can, so we can get into that. But, uh, other than that, I, you know, and then we get right back in the swing of things next week with, uh, with the playoffs. So, just, just ready, just ready for another big week. Yeah, and uh, when we come back, you know, I'll, I'll we'll update everybody on the uh, on how many points I beat you by in our fantasy football league. So we can we can just touch on that very briefly, before, you know, as we kick off our next show. How about that? Well, we'll, we'll see about Sounds that. Good. We'll see about. Maybe, hey, who knows? You know, I, I know we each got a few millionaire maker lineups. This yeah. Week. Maybe uh, one of us will come out of there with a million dollars. You never know. Out of five hundred seventy-two thousand, you know, I like our odds. I like our yeah. odds. Yeah. All right. Well, um, well, thank you, Pat, for your your awesome insights, and uh, thanks everybody for downloading. Don't forget to check us out on at Two Tour Junkies on Twitter. 
and check out the website is up and running tourjunkies.net. And, um, you know, hope, hope we filled you with some, some brilliance today because, you know, I know I'm smarter and we already knew, you know, I, I, we've already, I've already taught Pat a few things today. So, uh, we know he's, he's hanging up more intelligent and, uh, likely all our screens are going to be greener. So peace out. What will you discover in Asheville, North Carolina? Your inner explorer as you hike mountain trails. Your creative streak as you stroll the River Arts District. In Asheville, the answers can surprise you. Don't miss Summer of Glass, now through September, featuring Chihuly at Biltmore and a community-wide celebration of glass with local exhibitions and tours. Visit exploreasheville.com to plan your stay. Asheville, discovery inside and out.